silent and not answering his prayers. And in the midst of all of that, despair began to set in. You guys are going to have to work the slides. This is not working. Thank you. And so we read in chapter 14, verse 1, these words. A man, is born, a man born of woman lives only but a few days, and his life is full of trouble. That's the way our reading started out today. In the midst of despair, Job is acknowledging that his life is brief, and every day is a battle. He goes on to say that man will spring up like a flower and then wither away. Or another metaphor, like a fleeting shadow appears for a while, then is gone. He breathes his last, and then he is no more. As we read through the book of Job, the despair begins to intensify. Job begins to feel a distance from God himself, the only one he thinks that he can cling to. In fact, when we read through the uh, great works of literature, you've got a lot of people taking the book of Job and expressing the same thing in poetic fashion. For instance, Shakespeare's Macbeth in his, uh, his last scene, this is Act 5, Scene 5, the queen is dead and the king is saying uh, to himself and to those around that life is just filled with despair. He says, out you brief candle, out. Life's a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. It just goes on and on with no meaning and then it ends. That's the way that Job was feeling. But in the midst of all of this darkness, there's a little bit of hope. Let me review. Chapter 9, verse 33, one of the verses that we have on the screen, Job cried out in hope for someone to stand up and defend him. A mediator. The old word is daysman. Someone who, like an attorney, would advocate his case. Here Job is saying we need someone who can get a hand on God and a hand on man and bring them together. Then in our reading this morning, we heard from chapter 16 and verse 19. Job says, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. So for what what he wished for now exists. And he's acknowledging that there is someone in heaven. My intercessor, my friend, on behalf of a man, he pleads with God. And as a man, he pleads for his friend. So the hope that Job begins to see is not in the three friends who came to comfort him, but in the one who sticks closer than a brother, the true friend, God himself. And yet he still experiences this distance, this darkness in his relationship with the Lord. But then you come to chapter 19. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 19, verse 23. And we have it on the screen. Job says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, inscribed with an iron tool, engraved upon a rock forever. 
Apparently he's even thinking about chiseling into a stone and then heating up the iron and pouring the iron into the words that he's chiseled on stone for a, a very powerful and beautiful effect. Words so important. Words that are worth remembering. Words that would leave a lasting legacy. It's as though Job is coming to the central part of the book. And I believe this is probably the most, uh, this is the famous, uh, most remembered portion of the book. Verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. That is confidence. At his lowest point, he demonstrates this, this magnificent burst of faith. Often when I've had uh, an opportunity to fly, we'll leave the airport in darkness, sometimes a snowstorm. Sometimes the clouds are thick. But suddenly the plane, after taking off, breaks through the clouds into brilliant sunshine. And the rest of the trip is beautiful because we fly above the darkness. And that's exactly what's happening to Job. He's experiencing a break in the clouds. An opportunity for the sun of hope to fill his soul. And the promise of God to lead him on. He's got confidence. And this is exactly what you and I need in the lowest point of our lives. Divine confidence to get us above the darkness and above the clouds. So notice in this great verse that Job has confidence of God's existence. Confidence of his existence. I know that my Redeemer lives. You can't see him. Job, in talking to him, would not hear him answer. But he was convinced of God's existence. And that's exactly what the writer of the New Testament tells us. That if we are to have faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is seeing what cannot be seen, but being confident that it is there. And the one who pleases God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I know that my Redeemer lives. He called him a mediator in chapter 9. He called him an advocate in chapter 16. And now he gives him the name Redeemer. What a beautiful name. In the Hebrew, it is the word goel. G-O-E-L. Goel. And it means that kinsman redeemer, that relative who steps in to help you in your hour of need. The near relative who will avenge the brother's blood. The near relative who will reclaim and restore his brother's property. Set his brother free from slavery, defend his case, vindicate his name, avenge all wrongs. That's the kinsman redeemer. And now Job is saying, I know that he lives. And maybe my time has not come to be vindicated, but my time will come because he is alive. Now I don't profess that Job understood that this referred to the coming Messiah. Remember, this is one of the earliest books ever written. It's possible he could have. 
But these words find their ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, talking about Christ, and it says that he is our redeemer, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The writer of Hebrews, again, thinks of Christ when he thinks of the kinsman redeemer. He is able to save us, to deliver us from the uttermost, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our near relative to plead our case. I know that my redeemer lives. He's also confident that this redeemer of his is going to come. He's confident in his coming. It's a look into the future, isn't it? When he says, I know that my redeemer lives and that he will stand on the earth itself. While there was no one to stand for him at that moment in time, he knew that someday someone would stand for him and that he would even come to this earth. Although Job lacks perhaps the complete understanding of this future historic event, his heart begins to sing with the melody of this eternal truth, that my Redeemer lives and he's coming back. I suggest to you that this is exactly how you and I need to play life. This is exactly how you and I need to struggle through the dark times of the soul. This week I received another call about a good friend who has a situation that has gotten worse. And I was studying from this portion of scripture and all I could think of is to pray that this dear friend would know that his redeemer lives. And that if it doesn't happen soon, one day he will be vindicated and the redeemer will come again. This confidence is nothing more than hope. It's the maturity of faith. It's the determination that whatever may take place, I will look above and I will look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of my great God and Savior. But he doesn't stop just there. He even goes on and makes this very personal. Look at verse 26. And this is a, a very unusual phrase after my skin or my flesh has been destroyed yet in my flesh or some people translate it from my flesh I shall see God what does that mean <laughs> well I think it means several things and I can go to other portions of scripture to support all of these but let me simply suggest that it means that after he dies and his physical body decays, yet there will be a resurrection, a resurrected glorified body, so that from his flesh he will see God again. Here is one of the greatest expressions of the resurrection throughout the Old Testament. I will see him again. Yet perhaps he also has this wonderful idea of the incarnation. I will see him, after I have been destroyed, I will see him from my flesh, or literally in my flesh. 
In other words, the Redeemer will come and take on humanity. That's what he was hoping for back in chapter 9, verse 33, the one who can lay his hand on both. That's what he acknowledged in chapter 16 when he said, my advocate is my friend, my intercessor, one who is close to me. And now he is saying that this one who comes again not only comes when I am resurrected, but he comes in human form. Here's an acknowledgement of the wonderful truth of Christmas. God in the flesh. And verse 27 makes it intensely personal. I myself, I myself will see him, not another. I'll see him with my own eyes. And this is what my heart longs for. We read in the Beatitudes, the pure in heart shall see God. We read in John's epistles, when we see him, We shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. And this is the very thing that keeps you going. I think one of the things we need to acknowledge in the book of Job is that there is a dark side of the Christian life. We might even call it the dark side of God. Did you remember from last week those words from Isaiah chapter 8 when it said, the psalmist, or Isaiah the prophet said, I wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Did that surprise you? There is a dark side to the Christian life in which it seems as though God is hiding his face. A woman one time came to her pastor and spoke of unusual spiritual dryness, and this troubled her greatly. And so the pastor, along with some other friends, said to the woman, well, you just need to buck up. You need to just rouse yourself up. Pick yourself up spiritually by your own bootstraps. Focus on the fact that you are forgiven, and don't focus on your feelings. Ignore your feelings And just look at Bible verses. (laughs) Well, she tried that and it didn't work. Because we are not just human beings devoid of feelings. We're not just people of spirit. We're people who have feelings and we have a physical body and that affects us. As well as our own spiritual relationship with the Lord. Finally, the great Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor for many years in England, but prior to that a medical doctor, and often treated spiritual problems as though they were physical problems, he did the analysis of the woman and said, well, you have to remember that sometimes spiritual problems are physical. And he simply said this, you need to understand that there are periods in the, lives, in the, in the life of a godly individual for God's own... Uh, unknown reasons where he seems to be absent and withholds his face. She looked at Dr. Lloyd-Jones and said, could this be true? I thought the Christian life was ever growing. I thought every day with Jesus was better than the previous day. I thought that if I followed Christ, I would enjoy health and wealth. 
He said, no, it is actually true. And then gave her examples of many of the greatest saints in the Bible, like Job. And at once her problem was solved. Because now she had a biblical theology instead of false theology to live upon. That's why we're going through the book of Job. There is the dark side of the Christian life. And some of you are experiencing, experiencing that right now. Do you remember watching the movie Apollo 13? And as the astronauts were going around the moon, they went on the back side of the moon called the dark side of the moon. And what happened? They lost communication with Houston. That seems to be the trajectory of every believer as we walk with Christ. We find ourselves on the dark side of God, if I could put it like that. It's not that God has abandoned us. It just seems that way. Oswald Chambers says, the treasures of the darkness that God yields, that God gives to us, are an unspeakable benediction. The treasures of the darkness. Apparently God has in mind that there are certain things that you and I can learn and we can only learn them when we go through the valley of the shadow. So this is what we need to remember as one old preacher put it, never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has revealed to you from his word in the light. We walk in the light even though our path must go through the darkness. Many years ago, there was a godly man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He was a prominent Chicago lawyer, rather wealthy, with a nice family. And then the Chicago Fire took place back in the 1800s. Much of his real estate investments were lost, and he was very poor. Sending his family away for the uh, time, they got on a ship and sailed across the ocean, but the ship that they were sailing on ran into another vessel, and his family died. Now having lost his goods and having lost his kids, I believe his wife as well, he got on a vessel went that same journey, told the captain to tell him when they got to the spot where the accident had taken place in the ocean. And when they did, he got to that place and he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when darkness like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God has told me to say, what is it? It is well. It is well with my soul. Corb is going to come and lead us in that song this morning. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot 
Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well. Let's stand. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have revealed to us your ways in the Holy Word of God. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts much higher than ours. And sometimes your ways are unbelievable for us to comprehend. But I pray that in the midst of the darkness, we would see the light of this wonderful promise. We know that our Redeemer lives, and one day he shall stand upon this earth, and we will see him. From our flesh, in our flesh, we will see him, and we will rejoice with him forevermore. So today... In the midst of the darkness, we can sing, it is well with our souls. Take us forth in a note of victory and hope because of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.